Good morning. It's good to be here. Made it all the way across the river. Nothing bad happened. And uh, it's good to be at Gateway North. And hello to everyone watching online, uh, those in Branson and Gateway Central, Gateway South. I must look way bigger this morning in South Campus than I normally do, much taller. I, I wanted to just uh, start with this. You may not realize this, but do you know why we live in South Austin? We have a saying down there. In South Austin, we say, we're all here because we're not all there. So, that now, so now you know. Now you know. Well, I wonder, do you ever wonder about your future? Do you worry about your future? Do you ever find yourself feeling overwhelmed about which decisions need to be made? And, and how do we make wise decisions? How, how do we find even what God might want us to do? And how do we know what's God's best for us? I mean, he's invisible and seemingly silent. And, and how can we communicate with God to know the design he has for our lives when we have a hard time even communicating to the people with us, the people closest to us? Take my wife Deborah and I, for example. We're very different in so many different ways. And she likes to think of me as overly optimistic. She's what I would call realistic. And so we were driving to a wedding not too long ago, and it looked like we were going to get there early. So I was excited. I said, it looks like we're going to get there several minutes early. And she said, well, we're not there yet. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, we could get a flat or we could get lost. My wife doesn't just see the glass half empty, but it's cracked and leaking. <laughs> so a few weeks later, we were on our 25th anniversary trip to Hawaii. We were strolling along this beautiful beach, and she says, you know, We've had a great life together. And I just let those sweet words linger. And then I said, well, it's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> or not too long ago, we're on this, this nice date. And she looks at me and she says, Eric, you're extremely handsome, but. <laughs> you never want to hear the word but in the middle of a compliment. She says, you're extremely handsome, but you look a lot like you did when you were a baby. I have a picture of me as a baby. I don't think I look like this. In fact, a friend of mine took a, a more recent picture uh, of me. Let me show you the difference. Yeah, that, I, don't look, I don't look anything like that baby picture. Well, speaking of babies, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, uh, she was having these cravings, and she just couldn't get enough of Tacos Mexico. And for two weeks in a row, every single night, we'd have carnitas in East Los Angeles. And then finally she decided, you know what, I want a Whopper from Burger King. And I was like, oh, great, change of pace. How about Jack in the Box? She said, no, no, I want a Whopper from Burger King. So, well, McDonald's is closer. I want a Whopper from Burger King. Well, how about In-N-Out? Like those are the best sandwiches, hamburgers on the planet. I want a Whopper from Burger King. Well, at this point, I just finally lost it. I said, you know what, Deborah? You know what your problem is? Your problem is you always have to have it your way. <laughs> yeah, don't yell the slogan of the entire restaurant in those moments. But you know what? Reality is we all want to have it our way. And so we struggle to get on the same page with the people closest to us. And it's even harder to get on the same page of God who might seem so distant sometimes. But I want us to ask ourselves, and just be honest for a moment, do you really want to know God's way for your life? Or do you just want him to bless you going your way? 
See, we all want to have it our way. And in this series, we're, we're trying to reframe how we make decisions. We want to look how God's will and our will actually are intended to work together to make the best decisions. And that we can live with confidence knowing that we're going in the right direction. And maybe you're here right now and you need this series more than ever. Maybe you're a high school student and you have big decisions about college you're trying to make. Wanting to make sure you go to the right one. Or maybe you're here and, and you're a college student and you're trying to figure out things about your career or making big decisions about relationships. Or, or maybe you're a millennial and you're in the midst of a quarter-life crisis. It happens. It's a real thing. Or maybe you're recently married and it hasn't turned out like the end of all those romantic comedies like you hoped. I mean, it's a comedy, but it's no longer romantic. Or maybe you have kids and you just find yourself overwhelmed just trying to survive. Or maybe you're an empty nester and now you're trying to figure out life without having those kids. Or maybe you're single and you're just overwhelmed with so many decisions and feeling like you have so little wisdom. See, some of us may be here and, and we actually struggle even believing that, that God would even care about our lives. Or, or maybe you're thinking, gosh, I just wish that God would just tell me what to do. The scriptures reveal the character of God, and you should know that the scriptures tell us in Acts 17 that God created us and put us on this planet at this exact time in history and at the actual place that we live that we might have the best opportunity to find him. Psalm 139 tells us that God created us in our mother's womb and he knows the number of steps and days that we have on this planet. Jeremiah 29 tells us that God knows the plans that he has for his people and they are good plans, not plans to harm us. See, God created you on purpose and with a purpose. And the scriptures can guide us towards that. But here's the problem. There are trials and there are temptations that keep us from God's plan for our life. But there's also something called decision fatigue. This is a real thing. Decision fatigue is deteriorating quality of decisions made by an individual after having to make a lot of decisions. And see what happens, the more decisions we make, we end up making irrational trade-offs in the decision making. In fact, they tell us our willpower is finite, like a muscle that gets tired when we use it too much. There was a study done in 2012 by Columbia University, where they discovered, looking at judges, that at the beginning of the day and right after lunch, to have a favorable ruling, it was about a 65% chance. But by the, right before lunch or by the end of the day, it literally whittled down to a 0% chance for a favorable rating. And so the moral to that story is, if you have to go to court, go in the morning. <laughs> or maybe even better, don't do anything that makes you have to go to court. But he, it's not just judges that when we're overwhelmed with decisions, we start, stop making good decisions and, and start ruling against others. We all do this. Our mental state affects our decision making significantly. So how can we find God's plan and experience the life he has for us? This series is designed to help us live confidently knowing that we're making good decisions. And what we'll see today is that God has given clarity in so much. He's given us clarity about his moral will. And God has promised to, to guide us as his spirit 
when things aren't as crystal clear. But the challenge is we have a free will. And we can make decisions without even thinking about God's will or that go against God's will. But here's the amazing part. When we trust God, he can actually take even the bad decisions we make and somehow miraculously bring good from it. But in the midst of this, he's given us the ability to decide. And sometimes the answer is clear. This is God's will. And other times what God is saying to us is you decide. Next week we'll look at having wise counsel. And the week after, we'll talk about walking by faith. But today, we're looking at how to experience the life that God has for us means we walk in the way of wisdom. There's entire books of the Bible called wisdom literature. In fact, one of them, we encouraged you this last week to start reading through the book of Proverbs, one chapter a day. It'll only take you a few minutes every single day. And when you read, just pray, God, speak to me through the scriptures. And just let it really saturate your mind and heart and ask for wisdom on how to apply what you read. Just a chapter a day and you'll finish in a month. Keep reading, even through Thanksgiving. Don't, don't, don't give up on those days. In fact, it could be a good excuse to get out of that long conversation with that one uncle, right? Or maybe it'll be what keeps you from eating that fourth piece of pie on Thanksgiving Day. But to help us get started, I want to read just the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. Take a look says this, these are the proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In other versions of Proverbs chapter 1, you may have heard that last verse translated this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does this mean? Why would we fear a loving God? Now, a really helpful resource for you once you start jumping into the scriptures is something called the Bible Project. They have a, a video that gives the context of every single book in the Bible, and now videos on different themes throughout the Bible. And, and in the chapter, or the, the video about Proverbs, they talk about the fear of the Lord. So let's watch just a moment to get what this really means. Another key idea in the introduction, the fear of the Lord. Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. I am not God. And rather than making decisions as if we are, we humble ourselves and with reverential respect and honor and awe and fear, we trust God in these big decisions in how we live our life. But see, some of us have an unhealthy fear of God. We have an inaccurate view of God as if, if we go this way or, or that way, we go the wrong way, we'll get zapped. And part of that is because we live in 
a world where we have freedom, and freedom means responsibility, and when we do make decisions, we do face consequences. In fact, sometimes when you read the scriptures, and it seems like God is, is angry all the time, in many ways, he's actually warning his people because he loves them and doesn't want them to go down a path of destruction. He's warning of the consequences. But see, if you grew up in a religious context like I did here in Texas, it's easy to have this misunderstanding about God. It's almost like we got to do the right thing in order to get God to love us, to appease the angry God. But actually, the God of the Bible is truly a loving God, a loving God who came to us. We don't have to do anything to get him to love us. He already loves us. And because he loves us, we want to do good things out of gratitude. Do you see the difference? It's a shift from a, a religion to a relationship. I want to do good things. I want to do things the way God has designed them to be done because I trust him, because I love him out of gratitude for all that he's done for me. So you and I, in a relationship with God, we begin to realize the benefit to seeking out God's will in our decisions. So to help us make good decisions, let's, let's go back to the beginning of the scriptures and let's look at the very first bad decision. God created the cosmos and on the sixth day he created humanity. Let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, listen to this, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The story continues, and, and God realizes that it's not good that Adam's alone, and so he creates woman, and, and she is described as an azer. It's often translated in these older translations as helper or helpmate, but it actually is the same word used over and over in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, used of God, describing how God is a rescuer. See, in this moment, God was creating someone to rescue Adam, someone that would come along him and bring vitality, a source of strength to do life together with him. See, most times it's, it's used in, in a way to, to kind of go along with what is traditional and cultural views of women. But in reality, it's this beautiful moment when Adam was given a rescuer to come alongside him and to do life. And this is important. We'll come back to this in a moment. But, but notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, they're in paradise. It says, Adam and Eve, his wife, were both naked, and they felt no shame. But then something diabolical happened. See, there was this time where there was nothing between them. There was nothing between them and God. But then a, an evil creature tempted Eve. And eventually, Adam and Eve ate from the one tree they were not supposed to eat from. I mean, they had access to all the other trees. Or as Kanye West wondered in his song, everything we need from his new album, Jesus is King. Listen close as he talks about Adam and Eve. 
What a thief may ask. apple juice something and she took it but but then we do what Adam does too and and, and then there's this, this this question he's asking you know are we gonna put this back on the tree because sometimes when you pull something off you regret it but in this moment Ab and Eve have just decided to go their own way and we think of Adam and Eve as idiots for ruining everything I mean right now we could be living naked in paradise but they had to go and eat from the one tree they were not supposed to eat from. I mean, they had access to all these other trees. They had complete freedom. But you know, we're just like them. We have everything we need, and it's still not enough. We have everything we need, but, but we aren't satisfied until we have what someone else has. We have everything we need, but we want what is not intended for us. And this happens at a young age. In a room full of toys, a baby wants to go after the one thing he's not supposed to have. Like, watch this baby. Wait, no. No. Hayes, uh-uh, don't do it. No. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. 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 Don't even think of no. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Don't even think about no. Uh-uh. No. 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 He has all these toys, but the one thing he wants is the glass of water, right? And that's how we live life. And so maybe part of what we need to learn in order to make good decisions is first start by enjoying what you already have. Learning to be content and grateful for what you already have. You see, bad decisions are often rooted in when we see something we want and we take it. At the root of it, Bad decisions are a result of our selfishness. We see what's forbidden and we want it. We take what's not intended for us rather than fearing God or trusting God. And so if you remember the story, now Adam and Eve have lost their innocence, realized their nakedness, and so they hide from God. They're ashamed and they're afraid of him. They fear God, ironically, after they made the wrong decision. If only they had feared him before they made that decision. See, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. We need to start by respecting God, having a reverential fear of God, and out of that make our decisions, trusting him. Well, the story continues. God spoke with Adam and Eve, and they ended up blaming someone else for their choice. But then notice the consequences of that day in the garden. To the creature, here were his consequences. Genesis 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, describing the spiritual battle that still rages on to this day. And then listen to this prophetic word about the Messiah to come. 
That was there from the beginning of the scriptures. It says, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, one day a woman will have a child who will actually crush evil, even though evil will strike his heel. See, evil thought by killing the Messiah, it would get rid of God's plan, unaware that that was God's plan all along, to willingly give his life. The Messiah was to die, but to rise again, defeating sin and death. The story continues, and there's another allusion to the sacrifice of God on our behalf in the fact that God actually sacrificed an animal to clothe their nakedness, the first death recorded in the scriptures because of the sin of humanity. Well, now more on the curse of humanity, the consequences of our rebellion. Verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Some of you moms are saying, forget being naked in paradise. I just wish that wasn't painful, childbirth. But notice there's this distance that happens between men and women. That's not supposed to be there. There's a distance between humanity and God that's not supposed to be there. This was not God's intention. And to the man, he said in verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Our rebellion brought death into paradise and brokenness to creation. Our world is cursed. Humanity is cursed Childbirth is painful. Work is a constant struggle. Men and women are constantly trying to control and dominate each other. Everything has been affected by the decision to go our own way instead of God's way. But the story of the scriptures tell us that God has intervened. That God is at work. In fact, he came to rescue us. He lived as a human being. He taught with great authority. He brought healing to the people. And he introduced a new kingdom, ultimately allowing evil to kill him on the cross. But he did not remain in the tomb, rising from the dead. And listen to what happens when it comes to the curse from what Jesus did dying on the cross. Listen to this. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus reversed the curse. We are no longer under the curse. Because Jesus took the curse on himself. See, in Christ, we no longer have to give in to spiritual warfare. We do not have to have a battle in our homes between men and women. We don't have to hate our work. We can be productive and enjoy it. We can walk with God without shame. We can even have epidurals. We can experience a glimpse of Eden, heaven on earth in Christ. So what does that mean? 
Well, first and foremost, in order to discover God's will for your life, you must first surrender your life to God. This is not about religion. This is about a relationship, that trusting that what Jesus did on the cross is what you need. And when you say yes to Jesus, yes, would you forgive me? Yes, would you be my leader? Then what happens is he actually transforms us. He makes us new. He forgives us, and he gives us his spirit to guide us. Listen to what Remarkable things happen by having access to the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is remarkable. When we say yes to Jesus, we have access to the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the power we have in our life. And we have access to the mind of Christ the wisdom of God. Now the story of the Bible is one long story from beginning to end. And it's a story about heaven and earth. It, was, it wasn't until the Middle Ages that it got twisted to be about heaven and hell. But the first two chapters of the Bible are very similar to the last two chapters. I want to walk you through the story of the Bible very quickly. We see this progression in the scriptures when heaven meets earth. In Eden, humanity with God in the garden. And then after the fall, God chooses a people and he travels with those people in the tabernacle. That's where heaven meets earth. And then those people had a promised land in which they live and they built a temple. And people from all over the world would come to find the God of the Hebrews. A place where heaven meets earth. And then heaven meets earth in the person of Jesus. God present with humanity. And then something remarkable happens. The temple is destroyed, and we are referred to, those of us who follow Jesus, we are referred to as the body of Christ. We become his temple. That means we represent heaven meeting earth everywhere we go. The last two chapters of the scripture are when the new heaven and new earth are revealed, when God makes all things right. Do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? He taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So what does all this mean for decision making? When trying to make a decision, make a decision that reverses the curse. That brings a glimpse of heaven to earth. And this is completely counter to the ways of the world. See, the world tells us to make decisions that are best for me. Make a decision that feels best, that's most convenient that's easiest but what we should be doing is making decisions based on how will this affect other people how will this advance God's kingdom how will this bring peace between people how will this help women and men love cherish and respect each other how will this bring joy and peace and kindness to where I work joy to where I work helping others discover the God who loves them when making a decision, we just need to ask this question. 
Is this decision showing the love of God to others? For example, am I putting others above myself? Am I forgiving others? Am I asking for forgiveness? Am I living at peace with everyone as far as it depends on me? Now, there's two books that have helped us in the frameworks of this series. One of them is a book called Decision Making in the Will of God, and the other one is Soul Revolution by John Burke. In fact, we give that as a gift to everyone who fills out a Connect card. And it's a great book that helps us walk in step with the Spirit and learn when God's speaking through those promptings, that still small voice inside. And I've discovered over the years that I can tell the difference between my voice and a voice from a dark place from God's voice. Here, here's how. God's thoughts are always selfless, always require courage, and they are consistent with his character. That's how I know a thought is from God. It always requires selflessness, it requires courage, and it's consistent with who he is as shown in the scriptures. But here's the catch. Some of us don't know the scriptures enough to know who he is. The beauty is that we can change that. So let me walk you through just real quickly four principles from this book, from decision-making and the will of God. First, principle one, where God commands, love obeys. See, God has clearly spoken. He has revealed his moral will for all of us. It's just right there on the pages. In fact, that's why we call the Bible the word of God. It's his message to us. Now, if the Bible is new to you, start with Proverbs this month, and then Move to the gospel, either from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then spend time in the New Testament. And it's important that you learn to understand the context and you interpret the scripture with the scripture because you can read something that doesn't seem to make sense. And there's some things that you should know. Some of you are not reading the Bible because you've heard the Bible is pro-slavery. It's not. In fact, most of the Roman world, about 80% of the Roman Empire were enslaved, more so among the people of faith. And so the writers of the New Testament were writing to people who were enslaved and helping them know how to navigate slavery, even in the midst of advocating for freedom, like in the book of Philemon. Some of you don't read the Bible because you've heard it's misogynistic. But in reality, it was incredibly liberating. See, women were oppressed and not seen as real people, but property in those days. But the scriptures, they are invited into this community. In fact, the scriptures tell us that in Christ, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. Men and women are gifted with the spiritual gifts just as men are. Some of you don't read the scriptures because you've heard that it's indifferent or prudish about sex. But did you know there's a passage in the scriptures that advocates that married couples should be intimate often and regularly? to protect against the enemy's attacks. And if that's not where you're at, just make it intentional to find healing in your marriage. Get help with a counselor. Connect with other couples here to move forward. But the, these are just some of the reasons we've stayed away from the Bible, but I'm telling you, when you understand the context, it comes alive. Let me give you a, a statement that my mentor in Los Angeles made that really helped me engage with the scriptures. He said this. His name is Erwin McManus. He said, the Bible is a portal into God's presence. It's, just not, it's not just a piece of literature. It's not just this ancient document. When we come to the scriptures with an open heart and open mind and when we read and we 
we pray and when we meditate and we let the word saturate our hearts and minds, when we begin to apply it to our life, it's a portal into God's presence. Principle two, where there is no command, God gives freedom and responsibility to choose. Now in this book, they mention Augustine. He's an early church leader and he says this phrase that I need you to keep with me because it's going to confuse you if you don't. He says this, love God and do whatever you please. We're like, okay, I like it. Now I'm listening. But we cannot separate do whatever you please from loving God. Because to love God means you obey his moral will. See, when you love God, you want to do what God wants you to do. You cannot displease God and then do whatever you want. But instead, to love God and then to do what you know he wants you to do. See, in our freedom, we choose to go God's way and not to go against the moral will of God. We choose not to cause others to stumble in the midst of our freedom. In our freedom, we choose to serve. Or as Martin Luther said, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian man is also a most dutiful servant of all. In our freedom, we choose to serve. We trust what Jesus said, that if we lose our life in serving other people, that's how we find our life. See, to make good decisions means we become people of integrity. We do the right thing no matter how small it is and no matter whether or not anyone is looking. This also means that when we're faced with multiple good choices, we don't have to fear. It doesn't have to be just a particular college or a particular career that we can, amongst multiple good choices, move forward in faith knowing that God will work together good no matter what we might decide you see there's so much freedom when we are in a close walk with God when we're walking in delight and freedom with God principle three where there is no command God gives us wise counsel in community we'll talk about this next week but we're not supposed to be on this journey alone and principle four when we have chosen what is moral and wise we must trust the sovereign God to work all the details together for good you see God is not hiding from us He wants us to do his will even more than we do. God is speaking. The problem is too often we're not listening. But when you are walking with God, we have lots of great options and opportunities. Like Adam and Eve, we can eat from any tree. We're just to avoid what's not ours. Instead, fearing God, trusting God, loving God, delighting in God, and out of that relationship, making these decisions, knowing God will guide you, like it says in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. So in this moment, I want to invite you to interact with God. As the band sings this song, I want you to consider what are the things that I am doing my way and have not even asked God for wisdom. What are the things that he wants you to let go of so you can make your relationship with him more of a priority? During this song, I want you to consider the God who loves you 
who created you on purpose and for a purpose, has a plan for you. He wants you to experience even more than you do. Let this be a moment where you connect with him as the band sings.